Ding, 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 ding. Welcome to Talking Pictures Trivia, the podcast in which a group of Welcome to Talking Pictures Trivia, the podcast in which a group of The podcast in which a group of The podcast in which a group of B-Side. Welcome back to B-Side. I'm Tom, and today we are going to discuss the world of Apu, uh, Satyajat Rai's 19... 19- 59 uh, Bengali language film. The way I'm going to talk about it today is in terms of the the Hegelian term Bildung, which means something like self-creation. And I'm going to go into that a little bit and how that uh, affects my reading of the movie, as well as looking at Kierkegaard's book, uh, Soren Kierkegaard, the, the Danish philosopher's book, either or, Entenella, and see if there's some things we can find in there. And I don't have right now an organized thesis to start this B-side up with, so I'm going to just talk it through and and see what I can find, see what I can kind of talk out, and uh, hopefully you'll find it interesting. So for most of this trilogy, what we have is what's called a, a buildings roman. Buildings means kind of making or self-making, and roman in German means novel. And what you see with a, a buildings roman is usually a person coming of age. They, they become an adult. That's, that's kind of the thing. The model for this, and even Rai said this in, in interviews about the world of Apu, the model of this is Pip from Great Expectations by Charles Dickens. And that's a story about a boy who becomes a young man and finds his way in the world. And even the title of the book indicates the, the potential for self-creation, right? He has great expectations. He can become, you know, a, a great person or something like that, or he can become not even a great person. I think that's that's the wrong way to put it. He can become part of society in a substantial way. And I think that idea of being part of society in a substantial way is what's really lying at the heart of this film, um, even more so than in other buildings roman that I've, I've read or seen. And a subgenre of, of buildings roman is the uh, Kunstler roman, which roman again in German novel. Kunstler means artist, and a Kunstler roman is exactly what it sounds like. It's the story of an artist coming into his or her own. The most famous example of this is James Joyce's nineteen. 1916, 1912 or 1916 novel, The Portrait of an Artist as a Young Man. And in that book, Stephen Dedalus, you know, grows up. We see him as a child and he grows up to become a writer. And so it's the development of him specifically with the orientation towards being a writer. And that's what uh, Kunstler Roman does. They, you know, they become an artist. And interesting enough, the... Uh, late 90s Alfonso Cuaron interpretation of Great Expectations, the film starring Ethan Hawke and Gwyneth Paltrow, among others, also sort of acts as a, a Kunstler Roman because the Pip in that movie is an artist. 
and that that is why he gets funding he gets you know from his mysterious benefactor and uh goes to new york and is able to become a young man now granted it's really more about um ethan hawk's pip growing up and falling in love and and doing new york things and you know and realizing his uh his faults and that he still has to respect his his family back in florida all, all that type of thing so i it, it's hard to call that more focused on the the development of him as artist however it's interesting to point out that uh curon's adaptation really beautiful adaptation is borrowing, I think, from uh, the, the Kunstler Roman tradition, even though he's really making this kind of buildings roman. And so that brings us to Apu, our hero. And Apu has a wife. Um, and Apu's wife is uh, Aparna, uh, played by Shamila Tagore. Uh, and Apu, of course, is played by the great uh, Bengali Indian actor, Sumatra Chatterjee, who, who died, I think, November 15th, 2020, of complications related to COVID, which is, is why we watched this movie for this week. And Apu, as we know, he um, he's a young man. He, when he is signal, single before he marries Aparna, is aspiring to be a writer. He wants to be a novelist. And in fact, he's written a great deal of a novel, if not the entirety of a novel. And he um, has to go, or he doesn't have to go, but he goes with his friend uh, Pulu to a wedding. And it turns out the the groom is insane. He, he's suffering from um, a mental condition. And so... Apu, because of the, the kind of traditions of the, these arranged marriages, has to step in and accept her as a bride. And as it turns out, she is a, a lovely woman, and they have a great romance until she dies in childbirth, at which point Apu abandons everything, including his novel, and kind of wanders about for about five years, while his child... Kaja, Kajal, excuse me, um, he kind of grows up with his grandparents, really not being raised in one direction or another. And so Pulu, Apu's uh, former classmate and friend who introduced him to his wife, has to go out into the kind of the wilds wherever Apu is and find him and bring him back to his son. And of course, the, the movie ends with Apu and uh, Kajal going off together. And what I read this movie as doing, and I think this is where the the kind of the Kierkegaardian and the Hegelian readings come together, is that I see this movie really about abandoning the life of an artist in order to self-create, to create who you want to be in the world with respect to the society in which you are. Okay, and so that's, I guess that I'll, that's as succinct <laughs> succinct a thing I can say to, to give you my reading, my succinct reading of this movie, is that Apu um, selects the kind of the, the civic life in the end, and actually even when he gets married, he, he selects the, the sort of civic life or the life of society 
in order to self-create and that that kind of process of self-creating is more fully realized more fully self-created through the tragedy and the the coming to terms with the tragedy that excuse me the coming to terms with the tragedy that we see at the end of the picture okay so let's get into a little of that jargon there and um how to unpack that and i think what we should probably start with is uh kierkegaard's either or either or in danish it's enten eller which i'm you know uh, I, I don't know danish but <laughs> so i'm just uh reading the words on the screen um but this was a a book from the early 1840s and Kierkegaard is regarded, more or less rightly, as the father of existentialism. So asking this question, sort of, why are we here? And what is the experience of living? Things like that. And his, his books tend to be pretty artistic for a philosopher, right? You could think of, if anybody... Anybody out there in, in B-side world has ever read Immanuel Kant, Immanuel Kant, his texts are maybe less artistic. They're, they're fairly dense. I know a lot of people who read German actually like his German very much, but um, they're, uh, they're thick. <laughs> uh, Kant's critiques are, are, are fairly thick. Um, then you get into the 19th century and you get people like uh, Kierkegaard and, and later Nietzsche who really are estheticians in the way they approach philosophy. And Antonella, either or, is, is no exception. And so how Antonella is framed, the kind of the, the frame, there's a framed narrative in this philosophy book, is that um, it was published under the name uh, Victor Arameda, which which just is Latin for uh, victorious hermit, and it is the the idea is that um, Victor has a desk. He got a desk, and in it he finds these two texts, which are roughly labeled A and B. And A is given an author's name, a judge, I believe, and B is is anonymous. Now, of course, it's all written by Kierkegaard, but this is the this is the aesthetic performance in which he grounds his philosophy. And so what are A and B? Um, how are they different? The first volume, either, is what's called the, the aesthetic volume or phrase. Um, and it's these papers that Victor found written by A, the, the esthete. And... The esthete is somebody who is uh, an artist, is interested in art, is living only for his art, or I suppose her art, um, and is on sort of the, the borders of society. This person is not participating in society fully as he or she is committed to the production of art. They're trying to make their art. And, you know, eventually... Um, Kierkegaard, or A, hypothesizes, uh, will find himself in despair because the aesthetic approach to life is is very limited. It's like being in a basement, right? You know, the, the aesthetic life, this is a, a metaphor Kierkegaard uses, 
I believe it's a metaphor he uses, but he's in, in the basement and oh, this person is in the basement and um, uh, the aesthetic person is down there and moving up into the social world, into the kind of the center of society and participating in society is like moving out of the basement onto the first floor, right? And And so it is really either the, the first section of this book is it's written in a very Afroistic, artistic way. But the point it's getting across, across is that the aesthetic life is a life limited. You can be on the margins, you can kind of produce art, but it, it almost feels like a young man's game where eventually, you know, you, you sort of, in, unless you can find a way to incorporate the aesthetic back into the civic world, and I don't know that by Kierkegaard's definition of the aesthetic phase of existence, that's even possible. Um, but unless you can do that, what, what today we might call monetizing, then you are going to reach this place of despair, which is you know something he explores later in this book, uh, sickness unto death. But you know it's basically a a state in which. Um, you know, you all kind of paths open up to you, but you don't know how to go forward, right? You're sort of um, you're sort of unable to move towards the self-actualization, even as you recognize that you are lacking in the partici participation in self-realization. So that's that's the either, right? And then of course you have um, you have or. And or is the the model of the, the what we call the ethical, or not what we, but what Kierkegaard calls the ethical. And this is this is B. And here B is um, B writes in letters. There's two of them. It's more restrained. There's no, I don't believe any aphorisms, um, and it, it's a kind of more argumentative essay. And it is the argument being that the ethical life is you, no longer an artist, on the first floor of the house now, engaging in the civil world. And um, your, your values, your behavior, um, it, they're, they're kind of judged in the social circle. Um, you become aware of the world. Um, you can become involved in the world. Um, and what he would say is that this ethical realm or the ethic realm, uh, it begins with an effort to choose one's life, to basically to make a choice. While despair, you recognize the possibilities available to you, however, you cannot step forward, right? You can't move towards those possibilities. The ethical realm begins with a movement towards those possibilities, towards participation in the civic realm of existence, right? And so not only are you involving yourself with other people, you are electing how to involve yourself with other people. Now, this isn't to say that the civic realm is some, you know, great shakes all around, right? You, you can go too far 
into the civic realm and lose track of who you are. You could go too, you easily go too far in the aesthetic realm and lose track of who you are. And, you know, the, the problems of going too far, you're using this kind of walking metaphor, uh, in both realms can be solved by kind of the religious life. And this is something he gets into his book, uh, Fear and Trembling, which, which we're not going to go to now, but it's sort of, um, if we're using this house metaphor, it's sort of moving from the first floor, the civic life, to the second floor, the, the sort of religious life or, or the faith-based life. And that is the, the kind of sphere of existence um, in which ultimately Kierkegaard turns to um, in order to publish. Right? Uh, not, not, <laughs> the spiritual realm isn't publishing his books, but rather what I mean is that that's what he's writing about through most of his career. And that's sort of built up with either or, the sickness unto death, and with fear and trembling. So that's kind of the setup here for for how I'm looking at for how I'm looking at the world of Apu. And I, I think that makes a lot of sense for the plot of the movie. He starts out as an artist, and not only is he an artist, he's a fairly ignorant artist. He is talented, as we learn. He's a the first scene of the movie is Apu receiving a letter saying that one of his short fiction pieces has been published. Uh, Pulu reads his novel or uh, either all of his novel or a significant portion of his novel and compliments him on it. He thinks it's a, it's a brilliant novel. And Apu is perfectly happy being poor, living by the train tracks. Um, he suggests to Pulu that he's not going to get a job and he's just going to work all the time, uh, work on his novel that is, all the time and work on his writing um, he wants to, he wants to actively forego honest work in order to write. We see him in the the beginning, moving from employment opportunity to employment opportunity, and not really seeing anything that matches him, and deciding, you know, employment isn't for me. <laughs> Which, you know, as a as a currently at the time of this recording, I am a single man. Um, I am uh, in graduate school, so I'm at home teaching a class online and, and writing a dissertation. And so I often feel like I am not a working man and just enjoying the aesthetic life. And so I could, I could see Apu's point about the, the appeal of this and being able to work on your writing every day, uh, which is, is great for me because I make enough money doing that. Um, I also see Kierkegaard's point about this is, this is a, this is a life that feels a little disconnected from the town or the community in which I'm actually physically living. So uh, that's just a little bit of a personal connection to to Apu. And also, I was an actor in New York City for seven years. And, you know, if you want to talk about the margins of civilized life, th there you go. Uh, but that is... Anyway, getting back to Apu and off me... That is is Apu's um, orientation filtered through Kierkegaard, right? He has clearly selected the aesthetic life. Um, and, you know, so he writes and writes well. We see him constantly kind of playing the flute. Um, before the wedding, when things are getting prepared, he goes up to a hill to take a nap. And it is this really 
gorgeous scene, but there's also this kind of bit of of self awareness of of that that Apu has. He's kind of he lies out on the um, on the mountain, almost as if he can imagine uh, somebody stumbling upon him. So he's just he's spread out in the most romantic way. He is an esthete in that sense, right? And when he marries Aparna, he sees it as this kind of heroic thing he can do. Also, this is kind of framed in an aesthetic way, right? It's this this image of himself doing something. It's almost lived art at this point. However, what ends up happening is he, after he gets married and realizes how wonderful she is and how wonderful they are together, he goes to Pulu and says, okay, I'll get a job. And he gets a, a clerking job. And... um you know, writing and taking notes, and he kind of stops working on his novel. And there's a, a point where they're they're in a coach and they're going home together, and she says to him, Aparna says to Apu, you know, you you haven't been working on your novel for a while. Is that my fault? And he says, No, it's to your credit. And that to me is an admittance that he is moving more towards the the ethical life, what Kierkegaard calls the ethical life. Now, Abu also says he's going to continue working on his novel, um, which he, he doesn't end up doing, but still what we see here is somebody who is embracing the responsibilities of marriage uh, above the life of the artist. Like Once he realizes his love for this woman, he starts to do that. Now, I would argue that this is in some ways still not exactly or not fully an embracing of the the ethical. And I think what that is, is Apu is deeply, romantically, head over heels in love with Aparna. And she for him as well, even though uh, Aparna lets on that she's maybe a little more conscientious than Apu, that she's probably a little more, um, I don't want to say world-weary, because that's wrong, but she, she's a little more uh, a practical, certainly, than Apu. And so, you know, we, we get the sense that even that her love for him is maybe a little more tempered by this understanding that we are people in a social situation, not people on our own. And Apu is sort of, in order to be a better husband, almost by default, entering into the social world, the ethical life, more so than he was before. But I, I wouldn't say fully, because he still has this kind of very romanticized conception of her. And then she dies. She dies in childbirth, and he gets the note, um, we see him wandering through the woods with his novel. He comes to the top of a hill, and he just lets the pages of his novel go. He throws it away. And then later we move five years forward. Okay? And we see he is he's kind of torn apart. His son, who's five at this point, uh, Kajal, is being raised by Aparna's parents, at least her father, and he's kind of running wild. He's very misbehaved. He's sort of ignored. Um, and Apu wants nothing to do with him because Apu thinks that if he sees the child, all he'll think of is Aparna, and he, he can't help blaming the child for her death. And 
What ends up happening is Pulu finds Apu, kind of summons him back to the house. Apu goes back. He tries to befriend Kajal. It, it isn't really working. Um, and then when Apu goes to leave, Kajal comes out and says, um, will you take me to my father? And Apu says, yes. And Kajal asks, well, who are you? And Apu says, I'm a friend. And then once he says that, Kajal can go with him to quote unquote find find his father. Now, of course, Apu is his father, but that that's how the movie ends. So that's how the movie ends. So what I would argue here and how this, this fits in is I think that this is really the point where Apu is moving out of despair into the into the 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 civic life right and his his marriage allows him to do that to some degree but it never really hits despair he sort of seamlessly moves from the artist's world and the single life into the married life um however once she dies uh he does hit this kind of despair um you know and he can recognize he's in despair, um, but he refuses to accept help. So he can recognize he is in a state of stasis, unable to go forward, however, see that there's, you know, that the, the life he had is no longer there and that he has to go forward somewhere. However, this, this thing that Kierkegaard calls in his book Sickness Unto Death, the despair of defiance is when one recognizes one is in despair but refuses to accept help. So hardening the heart against the possibility of help. Um, and this is from Sickness Unto Death. This is from Kierkegaard. Quote, he takes occasion to be offended at the whole of existence for to hope in the possibility of help, not to speak of help by virtue of the absurd, that for God all things are possible. No, that he will not do. And as for seeking help from any other, no, that he will not do for all the world. Rather than seek help, he would prefer to be himself with all the tortures of hell, tortures of hell, if so, it must be. End quote. And the final victory is the victory out of despair. Um, what we might call Apu's final Bildung, a moment out of despair, Ironically, by rejecting who he is, he, he's rejecting the claim of fatherhood in order to accept the claim of, of friend. And then he's able to walk into the light, to accept love, to offer love. So this comes to this concept of um, Bildung, right, from Bildungsroman. So Bildung in German means both education and formation. And it usually kind of means something like self-cultivation. The Germans have this wonderful philosophical language and they, they can glue words together to create these kind of uh, multi-significant meanings. Um, and, you know, when philosophy and education are linked, so when you're thinking philosophically, then it becomes, uh, you become mature, 
right? So you become mature to the world. And the literary tradition of the, the building sermon is about that process, right? It's about the linking of brain and heart. Uh, it's about finding identity. It's about finding identity within a broader society. That is is Bildung, and it uh, has a, a bunch of different meanings, um, sometimes in philosophy. Um, Wilhelm von Humboldt sees it in a kind of, in a, excuse me, an educational context. Um, other philosophers see it in other ways, but probably the most famous philosopher to look at the concept of Bildung is Hegel, just because Hegel is immensely famous philosopher. Um, and interesting fact, we talked about Schopenhauer. We either talked about Schopenhauer already or will. I, I'll be honest with you, I don't remember right off the top of my head the order. These are coming out. And Schopenhauer used to schedule his lectures at the same time as Hegel in order to purposefully compete with Hegel and take Hegel's students away. And of course, what ended up happening was Hegel took all of Schopenhauer's students away, so it didn't work out too well. Um, but this is a very anti, I wouldn't call it an anti-Schopenhauerian philosophy. Schopenhauer hated it. How about that? Certainly he hated it. Um, and where we see the Bildung is in Hegel's most famous book, I think it's his most famous book, The Phenomenology of Spirit. And this was published in the early 19th century, I think 1814. I'll check that date for you, but, but sometime around there. And um, for Hegel, existence, negation, so the, the lack of existence, and productive work determine the Bildung determined for the building of the consciousness as conscious being. Um, so that, that's usually how it's articulated. Um, and that, that some people think, especially looking at, at chapter six of the phenomenology, that the, um, that a, a better kind of discussion of the building is that if you want the building, the, the construction, the self-cultivation of the self, that it involves the alienation and tearing apart of the self that is necessary for the building. Um, it's not about making something or constructing something. It's actually about destroying the self and re-cultivating that self. Uh, and so it's, it's a very kind of complex concept in that sense. Um, and so for certain writers, Bildung is involving the, your local people, maybe your family, uh, the political world and the, the various aspects that go into that, and the historical world if it comes to kind of revolutionary behavior. Building is the tearing apart of the self and the restructuring of the self in relation to those different things, to those different collectives, to those different uh, political units and the concerns they have, even to history itself. And so it's not just about the individual consciousness 
um, making the self, so the individual consciousness working with the material of the self to form the self, um, it's, it is about that, that self-formation with an orientation towards those different kind of circles or communities. Health, so if the individual stays healthy, that becomes a virtue that's important. Um, and it allows us to kind of fulfill our calling. Um, and the calling, whatever our calling is, is something that's universal and necessary for these various communities. Um, and by engaging in the necessary deconstruction of the self, the kind of ripping apart of the self and the restructuring of the self, you are then fulfilling the duty to the self in relation to others, and therefore you're able to accept your, your duties for other people. Um, you know, so Hegel would say this requires education. Um, it presupposes culture, and this is very important because, you know, you are reforming the self within a culture in order to be good for different communities that are structured by their cultures. And so, you know, that makes a tremendous amount of sense. I, I think that it's not just about self-creation, but an education with regard to the, the knowledge that a, a language and a culture provides. And when the, the consciousness is being torn apart, you know, that's when Bildung is always open to freedom. So the, re, the, the kind of reconstituting of the consciousness ends up being the, the means to, towards freedom. Because, you know, Bildung, after all, is a process. It's a process of getting free. And I think we can think of freedom maybe not as a, as a state of being, but a process of, a, of getting to somewhere, right? Um, and so, um, it, it, and it isn't just learning about stuff, but it, it is about the kind of, the, the constant process of cultivation and um, recognizing the that there that you need to split from the collective in order to cultivate, but you're still doing this. You're still self-cultivating in order to orient yourself towards the needs of your family, your community, all those things. Right. Um, so in this realm, in the, the kind of the, the realm of Bildung, um, your consciousness is going to encounter conflict, contradiction, division uh, in relation to sort of objects in the world, even to its own consciousness and the idea of consciousness. Um, so consciousness becomes alienated to itself. That's what Hegel would say. So in, in this idea, in the, the conflict, the kind of tearing apart, consciousness looks towards these kind of contradictions and, and what have you, and it becomes alien to itself. It alienates itself. Now, 
what does this mean? What does it mean to kind of for consciousness to alienate itself? So for Hegel, alienation is a part of the process of self-creativity and self-discovery. Um, consciousness cannot understand itself. It doesn't know what it is. Um, in order to understand itself, for your consciousness to know itself, right? For you to know what it is to be consciousness, um, you have to overcome the process of self-alienation. That is the process of being aware of consciousness as something you don't understand, right? You, you end up becoming alienated from your own consciousness via the question of what knowledge can I have to understand the nature of my own consciousness. Um, and so once you do that, according to Hegel, you, you um, enter into something called absolute knowing, or at least you play a role in absolute knowing. I don't know if you, you enter into it, which is a sort of somewhat mystical, something I don't quite understand way of knowing about the world. And, and you won't understand your own consciousness completely. Um, it, it's a process still. It's this kind of developing process. Um, you, you're trying to develop a kind of independent consciousness, even though your consciousness itself is dependent up, upon you know, the, the world and all these things in here. Um, and, you know, so the, the, the consciousness that is dependent upon, the, you know, the material world, that becomes kind of a, a problem here. And so the way I'm putting this kind of, this building, this self-creation, is that Apu, in this last scene, is beginning his bildung. His movement out of despair, his kind of Kierkegaardian movement out of despair, is the beginning of the, the kind of self-making. Now, it seems as if his, his kind of wanderings in, in Bengal for five years might be part of this. It might be a point in which he is kind of brought out of his position of despair. Um, I, I'm not really sure, but it seems in the end he is able to stand apart from himself in order to see his duty towards his son and consequently the community. He, he's putting a burden on his father-in-law or former father-in-law by not embracing his duty as a father. And so it seems in the end that by saying, I am not father, I am friend, this is a moment of alienation, a moment when consciousness or who he is, his, his consciousness itself, steps outside of itself in order to, in order to observe the situation independent of of it right this kind of self-alienating process and from there and after there what we're seeing at the end is not the end of a, a, a bildungsroman but really the beginning of a bildung the beginning of a self-cultivation and self-creation undertaken in order to um, orient 
orient himself towards the needs of the community. And that is my reading of this picture. Thank you very much. This has been B-Side.